Second Peter chapter 2 and we'll read but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly deny who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bore them bringing upon themselves swift destruction and many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed and in their greed they will exploit you with false words their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep for if God did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly and if he rescued righteous Lot greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked for as that righteous man lived among them day after day he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority bold and willful they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones whereas angels though greater and in might and power do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord but these like irrational animals creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction suffering wrong as to wait for their wrongdoing they count it pleasure to revel in daytime they are blots and blemishes, blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you they have eyes full of adultery insatiable for sins they entice and study souls they have hearts trained in greed accursed children forsaking the right way they have gone astray they have followed the way of Balaam the son of Beor who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression a speechless donkey with human voice and restraint restrained the prophet's madness these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for speaking loud boast of folly they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error they promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first 
for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Amen. Well, this is going to be quite interesting. So please bear with me if I need to find my pages at some point. Um, One of our habits here at Solihull Presbyterian Church is that we preach through a whole book. And I think that is good. And one reason why that is good is if we do that, we make sure that we preach the whole counsel of God. And that is what Paul does as well. So Paul, in the Acts 20 verse 27, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So as we go through each book, the whole book, and as we go through so through the whole Bible, we ensure that as ministers and as elders we preach the whole counsel of God to you. Some people may say, well, we need to focus on maybe just the gospel, that God is love. And we should not think too much about doctrine and not focusing on the doctrine. But it's important for us that we preach the doctrine as well. Because wrong beliefs lead to wrong behavior. And wrong behavior then leads to judgment from God. And that is what we see here in this passage. So Peter here, he is speaking to weak and some young Christians. Christians who just maybe become Christians in a time where uh, a lot of things have happened. And as we saw in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, they were persecuted. Um, many of them thought Christ will return soon, and it hasn't happened. So these are some weak Christians, and they are under a lot of pressure. And here Peter speaks to them and he encourages them. Now what we see clearly from this chapter, that there is a clear and present danger and we need to be aware of that. And it does mean that there are challenging words in this chapter, but we should not shy away from them and preach them. So in verse 1 we see they're talking about false prophets and false teachers. And they're used in the same breath, which means these two words, teachers and prophets, are a synonym from each other. It indicates these are people who are speaking in God's name. They're supposed to speak in God's name. However, here we see false prophets or false teachers who do not speak in God's name. And we see that in contrast to what we saw earlier in chapter 1, where we see the, the prophets, they spoke the word of God. Here we have the false teachers who do not speak the word of God. And again, he compares it with the false prophets in Israel. In Israel, there were several false prophets. And Peter warns them right now that there will be false teachers coming as well. Now, Jesus also warns his disciples. 
he warns them of wolves coming in to the flock and destroy the, the flock and these wolves are referring here as the false teachers you may remember that Jesus commanded Peter three times to take care of his sheep and we read that in John 21 so Peter has that word from the Lord three times to care for his sheep and that is what he's doing over here in this chapter he is caring for his sheep and so we as Christians we need to be aware of dangers that there are in the Christian life when we hear God's word being preached we need to make sure it is indeed according to God's word we read in 1 John 4, 4 verses 1 but John writes beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirit to see whether they are from God for many false prophets has gone out into the world again John warning us there will be false prophets and so we need to be aware of those when Paul and Silas were in Berea they were very good at that we read in Acts 17 now these Jews were more than noble than those in Thessalonica they received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so and we should do that as well so we need to be vigilant for the gospel at all times these false teachers they will arose and as we see in second chapter chapter 2 they come from within the church often they come from within the covenant so we need to be very aware of that now false teaching can come in different forms and the forms that we see here focusing on a few things denying the Lord's coming and denying that future judgment will come now there may be other errors other um, errors being taught but we need to be aware of those and as we come to this chapter as we have read through it it is a hard and it's a challenging chapter Peter comes with some strong words but it's important for us that if we do not call sin sin we are in, the, in danger of endorsing it and not realizing what sin is so it's important for us to spot false te teaching because they come with deadly arrows and as we see in this chapter many will follow them so as an example and I can see can um, imagine all our parents if you're a parent and your ch child is in danger in some grave danger what you will do as you will cry out try to get their attention as much as you can I doubt you will whisper to them in a soft tone telling them your life is in danger now if you love your child you will do everything in crying out to them to warn them that their life is in danger and we see that Peter does here the same again Peter is a caring shepherd crying out to those who are in danger and as we look at this chapter I want to preach you God's words as this heading that is a word of warning to us but also there is a word of pr promise for us 
and we'll see that in two main points first the warning against the false prophets and then secondly we'll see comfort for those who are in Christ so let's first look at the warning of the false prophets and one of the things that characterize these false prophets is also that their way of living is contrast to the Christian way so we see several ways we'll come back to that later what the Christian way is but they live a life which is contrast to the Christian way and because of that it actually brought shame and dishonor on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we see a few things of that in chapter 2 so we read in verse 1 so they will bring in destructive heresies denying the, the master who bore them bringing upon themselves swift destruction and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed so because of their way they live the truth actually has been blasphemed so they brought shame on God's name now we see that these false teachers had two main errors. First of all, they will indulge in the lust of defiling passion, or alternatively translated, go after the flesh, as we see in verse 9. But also we see in verse 2, the sin was sensuality, which is often in the New Testament relates to sexual sin sexual immoral conduct so that was one of the errors in their lives but also despising authority they despise the one who is worthy of the highest honor and as we look at their ways in general we see that they make self the authority they focus on their own themselves are the authority rather than acknowledging the supremacy of God both in his word but also in his order of creation now it's important to know here that we'll see by their fruit we will know them so it's important to know and how to spot these false teachers and I want to go now in four different ways in how we can see that these are false teachers so the fruits of their living first of all we see they are bold and arrogant we see that in chapter 2 verses 2 where we see many will follow them so they do have a following we see in verses 10 they are bold and willful in verse 18 they are speaking loud and in verse 90 they promise several things so here we see the arrogance of the false teachers they're doing things up front they're really trying to get followers and we saw that many indeed have have followed them but also we see the arrogance in these false teachers when Peter writes that they judging the glorious ones now it's not quite sure what to mean here by the glorious ones but it could be the ministers those who are preaching God's word or it could even be referring to Christ himself so they do not shy away from judging the glorious ones now we see the arrogance over here because Peter compares that to the angels now the angels they who are glorious and mighty ones they did not bring judgment 
but they let the judgment reserve to God. So if the angels do not bring judgment, if they are not happy to bring judgment but wait, how much more should the, um, we wait for that? Of course we should make uh, judgment on certain things in, in life. There are things we need to discern whether it's right or wrong. So in that sense we need to make certain judgments, but we should not pass judgment on people. That is to God. But these false teachers, they do not shy away from it. Another thing about these false teachers that we see clearly in this passage, where they are bold and arrogant, is in them enticing other ones to their way. One of the principal concerns of the leadership in the early church, and we see that in several scriptures, is for them to make people being established in their faith. We see that in Acts 14 verse 22. We read that uh, the apostles strengthening the souls of the, the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So it's important for them that the young Christians should be strengthening in their faith. They should be established in their faith. also want to read from you, if I can, from 2 Thessalonians. So, sorry, in 1 Thessalonians 3, there Paul writes, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. And further, in verse 13, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. So it's very clear for Paul here that for those new Christians, he sends Timothy to them so that Timothy can help them to be established in their faith. And Peter also writes in, the, in his first letter, 1 Peter 5 verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. So one of the key concerns of the apostles in the early church was to make sure that these young Christians were established in their faith, that they stood firm in their faith. However, these false prophets, they do not do that. They entice them. They take them away from the Christian way. And because the, the, these Christians often were young Christians, they were maybe weak Christians, they are an easy catch. We see in verses 14 of this chapter, entice unsteady souls. So for those ones who are not yet firmly established in their faith. So in contrast to these false to the apostles, the false teachers are aggressive in their attempt to persuade others to come their way. Often in the promise of these uh, sexual sins, to lure them away. So these false prophets, they clearly do not love Christ. They have a lack of love for Christ and for his flock. So that's the first thing for, we see in these false teachers. The second thing we see is that they live for pleasure, driven by greed. 
And again, several verses in this chapter highlights that. Peter clearly highlights the sexual immorality of these false teachers. In verses 2, we read about sensuality or sexual sin. We read in verses 3, talks about greed. In verses 10, the lust of defiling passion. And in verse 18, sensual passions of the flesh. So clearly these false teachers, they are driven by their own instinct, driven by their own pleasures. They have no longing for God. And if you have no longing for God, you only long for your, yourself. And hence you are driven by your own passion and your own self-indulgence. And these false prophets or false teachers were clearly characterized with that. They often appear to offer gratification of sexual de desire. And often that is exactly the type of um, voice that dominated the pagan life in the time of the early church. Paul also writes about that several times in various letters. Just want to quote from two. In Ephesians 4 we read, They have become callous, those are the pagans or those who do not know Christ, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. But also in Colossians 3 verses 5, Paul writes, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So clearly here, the sexual sin comes from longing for yourself, not having a longing for the Lord Jesus Christ, but only having a longing for yourself. And with that, we come as is greed coming as well. And here Peter then links it with Balaam that we read about in Numbers 22 to 25. So Balaam, he was promised great rewards by uh, Balak, the king of Moab, if he would curse the people of Israel. But he couldn't. The Lord didn't allow Balaam to curse the people of Israel. And when he saw that he wasn't able to do that, he then encourages Balak to entice Israel to sexual sin. And we see that in Numbers 31. So he suggested that they marry the daughters of Moab. Again, bringing them into um, um, of taking on these false gods in their own religion. So these false, these false prophets, they too, similar to ba uh, Balaam, they entice others to sexual sin and motivated by greed. Now if you look, read through that chapter, that is an ironic contrast between how the teachers think about themselves and how Peter writes about the donkey. Again here, Peter says that the donkey is rational in speaking to Balaam. He is the one who re realizes what Balaam is doing is wrong and he warns Balaam. So normally we'll say that humans are rational and animals are irrational. And that's how the false prophets thought about themselves being rational. But Peter here compares them and say, no, you are rational. And look at the donkey, which is supposed to be rational, but he is the one who warns Balaam. 
he's the one who realizes what the problem is. Now verse verses 13 clearly highlights the immoral lifestyle of these false prophets. We see in verse 13, So suffering wrong is as the wage of their wrongdoing. They counted pleasure to revel in a daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Now again, these are strong words. But again, words that Peter writes to warn these young Christians about the danger in their lives. Christian should be without spots and defects. These false teachers are the opposites. And even within the feast, so the feast, when they come together to have, to share in a feast, even during that time, we see, or Peter warns them, that they will defile those feasts. Now we should note here that there is nothing wrong in some of these uh, things that Paul mentioned, or that Peter mentioned. So, pleasure is in himself not wrong, but we should be kept within God-ordained limits. Now thirdly, we see that these false prophets, or false teachers, they promise what they cannot deliver. Now we saw in chapter 1, Peter writes about these Christians having escaped from corruption. They have escaped and they are now free from slavery. Now these false prophets, they promise freedom as well. In a very attractive spin on the apostolic faith. So Paul, Ryan Peter writes about them having escaped and them being free. And again these false teachers they promise freedom but not according to the faith that we have in Christ so while they apparently make appeal to Paul their notion of freedom is a perversion of Paul's teaching the irony of their promise is the fact that one cannot offer what one does not have they offer freedom from sin, but they don't have them that themselves. And the result from that is what we read towards the end of that chapter, verses 20 to 22, where again, some harsh words there, where Peter describes the apostasy of the false teachers, and that is evident by them becoming enslaved themselves. And again, we see that in John 8, where Jesus speaks, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So though these false prophets promised freedom, they cannot promise freedom. The one who's given over to sin is a slave, and no slave can promise freedom. So Peter hopes that the readers here will see that these false prophets are slaves in themselves. Although they promise freedom, they cannot. And we see that clearly in verse 17, where we read, They are springs without water, or they are mist or clouds driven by the storm. So all these things, springs without water, or clouds driven by storm, it has great promises, but it delivers nothing. So the false teachers are incapable of producing anything of value through their teaching. They are dry 
as opposed to God who gives thirsty to who gives what people need when they are thirsting. And we see that in Psalm 63 that we sung earlier. My soul thirsts for you, and God is the one who gives us water. Isaiah 43, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. On the dry ground. And again, when Jesus speaks to um, the woman at the, the well, again, he speaks about, I will give you living water and you will never thirst again. So these false prophets, they are dead in themselves. And we see later that they are destined for, for doom. But the final thing, let me move on from how we can... Uh, characterize these false prophets is they wander away wander away from the way of God they are themselves entangled into their own sin so we read that they abandon the way of God in favor of the greedy way of Balaam now to leave or depart from the straight way is to reorientate the life away from God forsake him and his commandments now at some point, if you read towards the end of that chapter, these false teachers at some point have experienced some kind of salvation through Christ. And we see that in verses 20. And again, these are very hard words that we need to take at heart. So verse 24, if they, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. So here we see that at some point they have come into contact with Christ. They have, in one way, accepted Him, but they have never been truly saved. So that's what Peter warns us and encourages us in chapter 1 to practice these qualities that he mentioned so that we may be established in our faith. Now as we read through these verses, especially 20, it should make us tremble, but it should make us run away from every temptation that is in our lives, make us run to Christ to be established in Him. And again, if you read the verbs at the end, talks about the dog. Now, dog is an unclean animal. So calling someone a dog was an insult at that time. Now, Peter sees these false teachers no better than the dogs. They once knew the Lord, but now they are denying Him. So that teaching takes them right back to where they started without Christ. But there is hope for you who are in, in Christ. So there is the Christian way. And we see those things in chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. If we practice those qualities, we will follow Christ. And indeed, there is only one way. In John 14, we read, Jesus says, No one comes to the Father except through me. So the ways of the Lord are right, we read in Hosea, Hosea 14. So follow the way of Christ. He is the way of salvation. So for those who are in Christ, you have escaped from corruption, as Peter writes in chapter 1. So for us, 
it's important that we stand firm in our faith. So therefore, practice those qualities we saw earlier. So as you hear these things, think about what distortions in the Christian life may appeal to you. There may be things in your life which is not according to God's Word that appeals to you. Are you aware of any unrighteous habits in your own life? Or do you see the value of pursuing God's way in your life? Being with Christ, reading His words. If you are a new Christian, I encourage you to seek and to grow and to be established in the truth at all times. But as we've seen these strong words from Peter, let's move on to our second point, where there is comfort for those who are in Christ. And Peter here writes about two contrasting rewards. Rewards for those false teachers, but it speaks about the rewards for those who are in Christ. Now first have a look at the rewards for those false teachers. Now judgment is coming to them. And one of the things they were thinking about, that judgment will not come. Peter warns them that judgment is coming. And he developed that in the first four, four till ten in our chapter. He gives three examples where judgment was pronounced by God and these judgments indeed come. So read about the angels. So the angels in verses, I don't know which verse that is, verse 5 I think. Um, so these angels which are majestic creatures, we see in that verse that God did not spare them from judgment. So even these majestic angels were not spared judgment. And then we go on to the second example where Peter writes about the ancient world to so the time of Noah where there was an unrighteousness in the world. The world did not follow God. In that case, judgment was threatened, that the Lord said, I will cover the whole earth with water. And indeed, we see the judgment was executed, but Noah was saved. And thirdly, we see the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Peter here primarily uses this and aims to underscore the judgment that came to these cities. And throughout God's word, we see that these cities become an illustration of God's judgment. So what Peter writes here in those three examples is that the reward for those who do not know Christ, for those who wander away from the way, that judgment is coming. Now Peter doesn't go into where it, when the judgment will be, whether it will be now or in the future. And both is possible. There may be judgment in this life and there will be judgment to come. But Peter here focused on God's power to both save and to judge. During that time, there were doubts arising about Christ is, now, is not coming back and also he may never come back, so there will be no judgment. And Peter warns them here that there may be a delay in judgment, but Christ is coming. So Peter is affirming here that judgment is coming. But also, and that is the hope that we have as Christians, that deliverance is coming. So that is a great contrast versus in 
3 and 4 in chapter 1 where we saw that we have escaped corruption. So if you are a Christian, the deliverance is there for you. So Peter offers assurance of his readers of the deliverance from the coming judgment if you are in Christ. So as God saved in the past, He will do so in the future. As God judged in the past, He will do so in the future. And Peter then says why Peter, that God has the ability to save. And we see that in those examples. Noah was a righteous man and God saved Noah. He came with his judgment, but he saved those righteous ones. Similar we see that with Lot. Lot was being called a righteous man. So those who are righteous as Lot will be spared from judgment. Just as Lot was spared from the judgment that was coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we should take great comfort from that. If you read through the story of Lot, you may realize that he wasn't a strong Christian. There may be questions as why he was living in that place. But we see that he was tormented by the people around him. So take comfort from that. That even as a weak Christian, the deliverance is coming to you. And even as a weak Christian, you can be salt and light in the world. And we see here Peter's great promise that the deliverance will come from trials. Because God has the power to deliver those who are in Him. So as we see in here in God's Word, God's Word acting as a double-edged sword. It acts in salvation, but also in judgment. And as God proved Himself utterly reliable in the past, He will do so in the future. Both in saving who are in Christ, but also in judgment. If we think back of our example at the beginning of parents warning their child from danger, Peter here warns the Christians from danger in their lives. And we see in that the Lord Jesus Christ using these apostles to warn us. Our Lord Jesus is the good shepherd and good teacher. He saved and transformed Peter to love and to feed the sheep including warning us against these false shepherds. So Peter here, I saw earlier, is very pastorally writing to the Christians. Our Lord faithfully shepherds and preserves His church through His in this world. And He will do so. He is faithful and He will never forsake us. I came across a passage in William van Dodevaart's book, which I would like to read for you. How can you best guard yourself, your family, your church from false teachers? How can you overcome the sin that remains within? He writes, by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, living in communion with Him, loving to listen to His words, and being filled with the rich truth of what He says, is the best means to go strong in overcoming sin and being able to discern and escape the false teachers who rise up even within the church. And finally, hear these words from the Lord Jesus himself. 
He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I have given eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of their hands. So again, I encourage you to listen to Jesus, listen to His Word, and follow Him. Let us pray. Almighty Father in heaven, Father, we thank you that you have, we have your word. You speak to us in your word. And Father, you are our Father who sent his Son, who is our great shepherd, who loves his flock and cares for his flock. Lord, help us to listen to your words and study your words. We pray these things therefore in his name. Amen.